Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. A reading from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight, and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, as we gather to hear your word read and proclaimed, I humbly ask that you would fill our hearts with your spirit, transform our very lives with the power of your grace so that we would leave this place not as mere hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. I believe it was the year that uh, my oldest, Clara, that she was in kindergarten, she had a new classmate that was new to her class and the school and everything else, and so this new family in the community thought it would be great to celebrate their child's birthday early in the school year, it was October was the child's birthday, to have a party at Chuck E. Cheese. Now, some of you know already are laughing because you know how much fun those are, but The Chuck E. Cheese in our community was 30 minutes away, close to the Concord area, close to the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Now, if you know anything about the calendar in October, this birthday party was the last weekend in October, also known as the same weekend as the Bank of America 500, which means that anybody that was trying to get to the Speedway, the entire world was going there, And so for 200 nautical miles outside of it, traffic was at a standstill. But we were going to this birthday party because it was at Chuck E. Cheese. 
And it was going to be awesome. And so, of course, knowing that it took 30 minutes to get there and factored in race traffic, we left an hour earlier than we ever should have needed to go. And sure enough, the party started at 2.30. At 2.15, we were a quarter of a mile away from Chuck E. Cheese. We could see it. We could see the promised land. It was so close. And we were moving along at an inch every five minutes. We were never going to get there by the time the party started. And I could sense that both Claire and I were a little anxious because we didn't like to be late, especially to a party, even if it was at Chuck E. Cheese. And so anyway, I whipped the car in the parking lot. I grabbed the gift. We grabbed Claire and she and I walked three times faster than traffic, walked the quarter of a mile and we arrived right on time. The first, and I might add, only guests to arrive on time. But we got there because we saw that the only way we were going to make this a reality to be at this party on time was that if we acted, if we just didn't sit back and be passive about it. And I dropped her off. We said, you know, so thank you for inviting Clara. Y'all have fun. I went back and got the car for the next hour and a half, drove to Chuck E. Cheese to bring her home. But the whole point is, she never would have gotten there if we had not decided to be active about our destination. When prophets write on behalf of God, more often than not, they are misunderstood. And people don't really like to hear the words the prophets say. Often it is a hard truth that they are saying. They're saying the things deep that we don't really want to admit about ourselves and our relationship with God, but they still say it. But other times, like in today's passage where Isaiah is writing to people, they are writing a message of hope, a message with a promise, but a message with a bit of a prescription to it. Things that people should heed and pay attention to. So what you have in this, Isaiah, is he's writing to the Hebrews. They're coming back from Babylon. They've been in the exile for years. The promised land has been decimated. They have been long and far away in a faraway kingdom, and they have been oppressed. And they are now liberated once again, coming back into the promised land. But they are demoralized. They're exhausted they're probably a bit whiny. Kind of like if you can imagine, you know, like when I remember going to the beach as a kid, sitting in the way back of the station wagon, and you'd be back there for five hours, and you would get within 20 miles of the beach, and it would be on change every day, and traffic would grind to a halt. You could smell the salt air, and yet you knew you were going to be in the car for yet another hour. You were tired and demoralized. Isaiah realizes this about the people, and so what he's trying to do is to encourage them about what this new promised land was going to be like. He calls it a new Jerusalem that will be even better than it was before, more grand than they can imagine. It will be a land full of great hope and joy. All of the ills of society will go away, that there will be peace and long life and laughter and joy. The idea was to help them feel that God was with them, and to see what God was providing. The great thing about these words is it reminds us of the kingdom that God wants for you and you and you, you and even me. 
This idea of the kingdom, that what God wants for us. I mean, for 2,000 plus years, we've been thinking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, about it drawing near, and yet we're also reminded each and every day about the sorrows, the suffering, the moral corruption, how human frailty has caused poverty and disease, injustice and war. And we think to ourselves, surely there's got to be more to this. Is this the kingdom that God promised? And we know the answer is no, because what Isaiah tells us is the kingdom that God wants for us is a place of long life, of peace and of joy. But what Isaiah tells us is that we can have these things, that we can make this kingdom a reality through faithful living. If we just live faithfully on God's mountain, if we as a faithful people pray for it, and if we as a faithful people do not hurt or destroy, but instead act on God's behalf. See, our faithful actions reduce the pain of the world and they begin to usher in the tide of this new kingdom. We begin to make those changes. And this is what Isaiah is spurning the people on to do as well as you and me. In verse 25, Isaiah says that, that we must live on God's mountain to bring about this kingdom. What he's talking about is not a physical place as much as a physical place in our hearts, an attitude, a purpose, where we begin to think that we're not living for ourselves, but for what God wants in the world. We live thinking how God wants to make changes. We write personal mission statements, if you will, about what it means to be a follower. And those are what we live into. So a farmer one day sitting on his porch with his neighbor, and they were sitting there, and this was in the days when people let their dogs run wild. And they were sitting on the porch rocking and watching the traffic go by, and he would watch his dog lay at one end of the property. As soon as the car came, he would go tearing off, you know, just going as fast as he could, chasing the car, barking at it, snarling at it, running to the other end of the property, and as the car zoomed on past, the dog would sort of stop, turn around, look at the porch, and then he would lay waiting for a car to go the other direction. This went on all afternoon, back and forth and forth and back. The dog was running, and finally the neighbor looks at the farmer and says, are you worried about your dog chasing cars? And the farmer said, nope. I'm worried, what's he going to do when he catches one? The whole point of that statement is, is the farmer figured the dog was just chasing the car and had no idea why or what he would do if he caught it. How oftentimes in life do you and I go back and forth and forth and back? We do the things we do with no purpose, no idea. We don't know why we're doing it. We're just going through the motions of life, running this way and that Mahatma Gandhi says that if we want to see change in the world, we've got to be the change that we want to see. See, I think he understood that biblical principle, this idea of living on God's mountain, living with a purpose to make the world a better place, living with a purpose to be about God's business in the world around us, because that's what we're called to do, who we are called to be not just followers, not just running through life back and forth, but running with a purpose, running with a desire, chasing down the dream to bring God's kingdom about and to make the world a better place, a whole new world, if you will. But it's not just enough to decide that that's what we want to do and to think that we can run through life. But we need to seek God's guidance of how to do it. 
What he said was, Isaiah says that it's not just to be the change and be empty hope, but it's to seek the change in our lives, to seek what God wants for us. This whole idea of a new kingdom will come about because we pray for it. We pray for God's direction. We pray for change. We pray for a change not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. Will we end the hurting and the war and the pestilence? Will we bring about peace and love and joy? Will we bring about hope that the world needs? I'll tell you, as we've talked many times in worship, and as we know deep in our hearts, prayer is the best weapon we can ever use in the world. If you're in conflict with someone else, if you look them in the eye and if you mean it sincerely in your heart, say, you know, we disagree. We need to pray about a solution. And I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to ask you to pray for me. When we bring God into that conversation like that, we begin to change the calculus. And the trouble cannot stand up to the tide of God's prayers and God's involvement. So we talked about prayer a couple months ago in a worship service here after church. Someone came up to me, we're talking about being involved in the world and living out our faith. And the person said to me, he said, I got to tell you, I'm not as young as I used to be. I can't do all the things I used to do. As a matter of fact, I can't swing a hammer like I used to, but I can do one thing for you. Oh, I can pray. And I pray every day and I pray for you every day and I pray for my church every day. Well, my brothers and sisters, that's what we need. Praying every day, not only for each other, but for what God wants us to do and who God wants us to be and the ministries that God wants us to do through this church to pray with that kind of fervor is what brings about this new creation. That's what helps us see where God wants us to go and how God wants us to be involved. Because when we sit down there and we begin to pray for stamina and guidance, when we pray earnestly in our hearts, thy will be done Thy kingdom come. When we pray that, we're asking God to show us what God wants in the world around us and how God wants us to act and who God wants us to be and what God wants us to do. But the final part of bringing about this idea of a whole new world is not just to have a desire in our hearts, not just to ask God in heaven what it might look like, but it's to act. It is to act. It is to be active in our faith, to go out and be not just hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word so that we go out and we do not hurt or destroy. We don't add to the pain of the world. Instead, what we do is we begin to make a real change. We think about the ills in our environment, the poverty, the injustice, the divisiveness, the strife, the infighting. We think about all the things that we see. That's all human action. What if we said enough and we began to make real change by the ways we lived? We acted faithfully on our own convictions to make the world a better place. Seems that one day there was a strong tide out in the ocean and it washed up real quick. And as it came up really high and quick, it washed up it with a whole slew of sea life. And then just as quickly as the tide rose, it fell back again. And the next morning, as a man was walking the beach, he realized the beach was just covered in starfish, slowly dying. And so as he was going about his walk, he got really frantic about it, picking the starfish up 
and tossing them back in the sea so that they would have a chance to live. And he was tossing as many as he could, but he could see starfish all the way, it seemed, to the horizon. Somebody walking behind him watched his efforts and says, what are you doing? Don't you see? You can't save them all. You can't help them all. And as he tossed another one back, he says, I may not, but at this moment in time, for this one starfish that I'm putting back, I am making a difference. I am helping it live. I'm helping it not die. See, for you and I, if we want to bring about God's kingdom, we must act. We must act as if the kingdom depends on our time, our energy, our help to make it a reality. And when we do that, we begin to understand the goodness that God has promised to all of us. We begin to understand what it means to not just creep along passively, to be active about our faith, about our involvement. You see, what Isaiah promised was that God's new creation, a new Jerusalem, was a kingdom that was unlike any other that we would ever know. A place of peace and long life and joy. I think about the best way that I can think of what it must look like is to think about taking all the goodness of Christmas, all the joy, all the excitement, all the energy, all the light, all the happiness that we find with each other. Take all the pageantry and all the joy of Easter. Put them together, roll them up in some gigantic, theological, wonderful burrito, and that's the kingdom of heaven. Christmas and Easter rolled into one where all the world sees it, feels it, and knows it by who we are and what we're about. Where we have this faithful vision of that place. Where we are faithful in our prayers to find out how we can be a part of the solution. And that we have faithful action in our lives to bring it about. See, my friends, I think God calls us into this place to catch a glimpse of that kingdom so that we may go outside the doors of this place and to show the world that glimpse by the way we live, the way we pray, the way we are making those changes. So this day, I hope we do just that. We go forth from this place with a desire, with prayers, and with energy to help make God's kingdom real here on earth. Thy will be done, thy kingdom come, O Lord. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.